0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations and a full extra episode from Season 3, Episode 14, our discussion on complex balloon hepatocytes, the errors they cause in drug assessment, and how AI-assisted technologies can improve analysis. This conversation starts with Stephen Harrison identifying the back-end analysis of efficacy as the biggest challenge of clinical trials today followed by Louise Campbell taking a different tack, citing a behavioral study to suggest that we should seek to reduce human error in the ways we analyze results. As the conversation winds down, Steven suggests that he was always taught to look for basic mesh structure before looking for balloon cells. And Quentin observes the presence of fibrosis is a factor in the AI-assisted ballooning analysis. As you'll learn in conversation four, this may be part of the problem. This issue has pivotal implications for all drug development going forward, and we all need to absorb its lessons. So sit back, listen, Enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. to comment on all the different ways in which this plays through in clinical trials today and what you can see as the value of enhancement if we do a better job on this. And by the way, what that better job might look like. Roger, that's a great question. If I had the answer,
1: I would, uh, well, we, we would be able to rapidly move forward with drug development. I think it's a still a bit of a mystery as to how we use this technology to extract all the amazing things it can do and really shed light on, on a process improvement pathway. You know, to me, the area that that I think we need to improve in drug development in NASH is is on the back end of these trials when we're looking at paired histopathology and we're trying to say did this drug meet its primary endpoint? Is the therapeutic index worth taking this drug forward? You know, we can do safety and tolerability very well in this field. The issue is the efficacy piece. And whether you look at alefibrinorph for fibrosis, or you look at lanofibrinor versus semaglutide for fibrosis, or you look at MSDC-0602K, which was the reason that the Davison paper exists today, what you find is the placebo response rates are widely varied. And, it, and just take a step back and think about that. Elifibrinor, had the placebo response rate been the same as a beta acid, would still be in development right now. And lanofibrinor and semaglutide had almost identical fibrosis response rates. Sima gets the hook for fibrosis because the placebo response rate was 33% relative to Lanny's response rate, which was much less. So I think when we begin to think about how we can immediately try to apply this technology, to me, it gets back to what I said at the beginning. Is there some ability to use this technology quantitatively to show that improvement in a percentage of ballooned hepatocytes actually correlates to a change in fibrosis, which we know links to an out. And that gets us away from having to show histopathologically that there is no balloon hepatocyte. The other thing I think would be helpful, and I I guess I'm going to advocate for this again, is just looking at more tissue. We take the tissue. Let's look at it. Let's don't leave it in a paraffin block. Let's actually use it to help get over the heterogeneity of ballooning so we can use both, I think. And the more that we use this collectively, I always go back to an elephant in a dark room. If we're feeling a leg or a tail, or a snout, we may not know that it's an elephant. But I think applying these different techniques allow us to step away and see the bigger picture for what it really is. So, you know, for the pre-screening techniques, I think that were mentioned earlier, uh, we're working on that. I mean, we've used AST plus scan KPA for a little over four years now to drive the right patients toward histopathology what I can tell you is that actually worked until we pivoted away to more than one pathologist looking at the tissue and when we went to that because of good reason now there was not agreement between the two pathologists so now we've stepped beyond that to consensus reading so now we have two or three pathologists that look at the slides independently where they disagree they come together and review or they have a third one that comes in and reviews and so so that gets us back to refining our pre-screen strategy and NIS4 actually as Quentin mentioned was developed with that intent in a way where it takes four different biomarkers and really tries to identify the inflammatory activity of the liver plus fibrosis and that's exactly what we're looking for histopathologically so i do think that we can refine our pre-screen strategy a bit more and and we can look at more liver tissue when we do the liver biopsy we can AI digital pathology to that to help augment what we're doing. And then we need to look at that at the end of the trial too, to see if we can minimize placebo response rates and we can stabilize the overall efficacy of the drug and actually get at truth. You know, does this drug work or does it not? My fear is that we've left good drugs that are effective, we marginalize them and we push them into the graveyard prematurely. I think Al DeFerman is a good example of that as well.
2: I've agreed with everything that you guys have said, but I was actually going to look at a slightly different angle when we look at the histopathologists. Our brains work in different ways. And we know that when we do decisions early in the morning and when we're fresh, we make good decisions. There's a similar study, Quentin, you might be aware of it, where they looked at nine Supreme Court judges who looked at paroles. And at the beginning of and they looked at a 1,000 decisions by these nine judges. You start off very early in the morning or after lunch with a really high rate of paroles. I think it was 65%. I think it was LeVav and his research. And by the end of the session, you've got 0% of people getting parole. Now, we know that our brains work in different ways. We know that it takes an awful lot of energy and concentration to actually focus on the points. So when we're looking at histopathology samples or anything of that intricate detail, The longer we take, the more we look at, the less accurate we're going to be, even if we're looking at the same things. So not distrusting the data that's in front of us, but actually when it's read, who it's read by, how many times it's read by, different times of the day, what's happened before, have significant influence potentially on what we see in these slides, and that may well be a factor because it's a factor psychologically in anything we do at those sort of levels. But bringing in AI, as you say, to complement that, to see where it agrees or disagrees, is in support of histopathologists, because I'm not aware of any uniformity to reduce the natural reasons that our brain works in different ways and why we tire and we, and we lose concentration and decision making. Because those judges were all asked and they felt they made the same decisions on the same metrics for every single prisoner and they didn't. So in a similar way, histopathologists can't make the same decisions later on in the sessions. It's not the way our brain or our capacity
3: works. So Louise, I think that's a really interesting point and it does come back to this, how do you control for what there is intra-observer variation? And again, this is one of the places where standardizing it by using AI approaches could potentially be very, very helpful. Okay, first of all, Stephen,
0: before we bid you adieu, which I'm assuming is going to be within the next minute, five minutes, uh, any other comments or thoughts you want to add so that we make sure to get them into this conversation before if we and if we lose you? I
1: think I'll just add that this type of work literally to me is like D-Day. We 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 attacked an issue. We now have a beachhead, but but we've still got a lot of work to do (laughs) you know we have we have the right people we have the right technology to do it we just need to take the time we need to carefully ask the right questions um, and we need to go address those questions with with data but this is the right step this is a big step forward for the field and it can be perceived as a as a negative or it can be perceived as a positive I mean, yes, the negative is histopathologists have trouble agreeing on what balloon hepatocytes are. And that's problematic when they're dispersed throughout the liver with no rhyme or reason, and it's very, very heterogeneous. But you can look at it also from a positive viewpoint, and I think that's exactly what this paper has done. And it allows us now, once that beachhead is established, it allows us to plan our next stage of attack and how we're going to move this forward. So, again, kudos to you, Quentin, for uh, doing this, for having that frank discussion with Dr. Brunt. I know that she is passionate about this. She loves what she does. We all love her. She has been instrumental and an icon in this field. We certainly appreciate her passion for everything that she's done in NASH. And that has allowed this to take place along with your efforts and those with histoindex. So thank you again. And I'll stop there.
3: Thank you, Stephen. And just to echo that, I think it's really important to acknowledge the phenomenal team of pathologists and hepatologists who all came together to realize this piece of work because it was uh, a genuine team effort.
0: And kudos to Ology for that because it's a fantastic piece of work. I have a kind of a naive question. I've tried to work this out on the back of an envelope several times, but I just don't have enough insight to do that. How many balloon hepatocytes would you expect to see on an average slide? Would you expect the average observer to see on the average slide? And then given the low concordance that you're talking about between the nine observers, how many concordant balloon hepatocytes might you expect to see on an honest slide? Zero. Mazen, I got to two plus or minus six. That's the reason I'm asking the question.
1: Fundamentally, that's the problem. I guess I've looked at thousands of histopathology slides with fatty liver disease over my Two-decade career, you kind of get to the point where I've learned from Beth, Dr. Brunt, who trained me, and we would look at slide after slide, and you get to a point where the architecture just looks like Nash. It just has a, a feel, a flavor to it that it's Nash. And then you go looking specifically for a balloon patocyte versus you look at something and it's just bland fat. And even if you see something that looks like a patocyte, you're like, eh, I'm not sure that's really a balloon dipatocyte. The architecture looks like like Nash we force ourselves to look for balloon hepatocytes, and we see that actually in the beta-colic acid paper where when you look at Nash as defined of inflammation of zero or one, no ballooning, you get a very different answer than if you just asked for the gestalt resolution of Nash by a pathologist. They actually are not aligned up at all. So I think it's it's a bit challenging to, to answer that question in a very quantitative manner. Yeah, and just to add to that quickly, you know, my impression is they tend to then lump together. you get these patients where you have these areas of balloon hepatocytes. And I think in your paper quint and you have this picture. One pathologist drew it a little larger because you get the feeling there's another balloon kind of squeezed onto the main balloon cell. I think there's this clumps of uh, balloon hepatocytes. And then there are these patients where you got to get go hunting. And I think that's, again, is that are those different patients? They'll probably get a different in the NAS score for, uh, for their scoring here, one versus two.
3: In this context, we do not understand everything that this lump of balloon hepatocytes or the single balloon hepatocyte means for a patient. No, absolutely. And just to pick up on something Stephen said there, it's it's very interesting that the Q-ballooning 2 algorithm does actually contain some features of fibrosis as indicators of the likelihood of ballooning being present. So it's exactly that. The computers are already recognising what the pathologists are doing, which is you take an overview, you you assess, you, you get a, a feel for something, and then you need to try to identify the specifics to back up that theory. And And it's what's already coming out in that coding as well, this idea that we're looking at it. And it it speaks to the incredible complexity of the information and the visual clues that are being assimilated when you're looking at pathology. And now, back to Roger.
0: This conversation is sponsored by HistoIndex, the world's leading specialist in stain-free AI digital pathology solutions for NASH clinical trials. Join HistoIndex for its complimentary webinar, Deciphering NASH, fibrosis dynamics in cirrhotic patients and insights into balloon hepatocytes using AI that's a mouthful, at 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Tuesday, March 23rd. For more information about that podcast, visit the Season 3, Episode 14, or Histo Index sponsor pages on the Surfing Nash website. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a review of high points from the Nash Connect and Liver Connect meetings. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.